Welcome to Rod Gilbert's Bulging Baron of Laughs with your host, Rod Gilbert! Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome to Rod Gilbert's Bulging Barrel of Laughs, the show that's as much fun as having it off with a clown. This week... This week, as always, the show is going to be packed as tightly as a kleptomaniac's jogging bottoms. <laughs> we'll be reaching into my bulging barrel of laughs and pulling out stuff to do. Stuff like Rod's Rant Club, where we get as angry as a woman trying to do a Sudoku on a mechanical bull. <laughs> stuff like Rod's Chin Strokers, where I bring a fascinating topic to the table for discussion. A subject that will provoke more debate than the time Abu Hamza and Anne Robinson were caught fumbling like a pair of French teenagers round the back of a KFC. <laughs> Stuff like Greg's Indecent Proposals, where Greg Davis tests our moral fibre, presenting us with tempting ethical dilemmas like, would you kiss Andrew Lloyd Webber for curry and rice with Tim Curry and Tim Rice? <laughs> Lloyd Langford will be providing his concierge service, where he will attempt to improve your lives by sorting things out for you, despite the fact that to the casual observer, his own life looks about as successful as roadkill. <laughs> And we'll have confessions where we reveal our deepest, darkest secrets. Yes, we'll be lifting more lids than a man with a lid fetish who's been told he has to try and lift every lid in the world to win a prize of a year's supply of lids to lift. <laughs> and we'll have comedy from John Richardson. <laughs> Another stage of woman from Sarah Millican. <laughs> Live music from the Hoosier. Much more besides. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, my barrel is so full that I need two more pairs of trusty hands to help me with it. So please welcome to the show my regular guests from the Inbetweeners and We Are Clang, a man who was once described as being as talented as he is tall. But 30 years later, who's laughing now? Because <laughs> at six foot eight, he's outgrown his talent by quite some margin. <laughs> it's tall guest Greg Davis. <laughs> My next guest might have a face for radio, but he certainly hasn't got the voice. It's Lloyd Langford. Hello, Lloyd. Hello. Hello, Greg. Hello. Hello. Ladies and gentlemen, in a few minutes I will unveil my bulging barrel of laughs. But before I do, playing for us live in the theatre tonight, please go wild and crazy for the Hoosiers! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to welcome my bulging barrel of laughs. In the barrel, we've put all sorts of fun and games. So without further ado, Lloyd, would you please be so bold as to slam your hand into my barrel and see what you've got for us. <laughs> First up, Rod, it's confessions. Yes, it's confessions. Have you ever walked into a lamppost? and then asked it out on a date? <laughs> Have you been on deal or no deal and pretended that the amount in the box is in some way your responsibility? <laughs> Our confessions game is just for you. It's the part of the show where we hear your most embarrassing secrets so we can point and laugh at you and talk about you behind your back with your friends until you become paranoid and end up a recluse living out the remainder of your days in despondent isolation. <laughs> 
Tonight, the cause of our blushes is family misfortunes. Yes, we've almost all had something we call family in one way or another at some point, and they're embarrassing. So let's hear what came in during the week from the BBC Comedy Facebook page. These are some we had earlier in the week. This is, uh, I start off with a cute little embarrassing family story. This one, it lacks a bit of detail, this one. It could be cute, and it might not be. It's from Donna. It says, a light aircraft crashed into the hillside above our village when I was about ten. Yeah, it doesn't say. Is that the end of the story? No. <laughs> well, we don't know. That's the thing. I don't know if anybody, if there were any fatalities or injuries or something. But it doesn't say. But she says, my brother told me it was my fault because I left the landing light on. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's kind of cute and funny, isn't it? If it was all no injuries and not. Well, imagine if... No. <laughs> If someone crashed into a mountain, there was almost certainly a death, so... Ha-ha. <laughs> Great gag, though. <laughs> Listen to this one. We bought our son a pool table for Christmas and had it delivered a few days before the big day. Not wanting to spoil the idea of Father Christmas, we told him we had found woodworm in the room the pool table was in and that we had treated it with poisonous gas. <laughs> we told him that if he opened the door, all his dogs would die. <laughs> Good news and bad news, son. <laughs> you opened the door, so you know about the pool table. I just wouldn't go to the backyard for a couple of days. When I was in school, uh, I was about nine or ten, and I was the only person in my class who believed that um, Father Christmas... No, I was yeah. the only person who believed he didn't exist. <laughs> uh, and I had a proper um, argument with everyone in the class. I was saying, he definitely doesn't exist. And there was a, a boy in my class called Darren Long who said, he definitely exists. I've seen him. How and old were you at this point? I was about nine. Right. Eight or nine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this boy in my class went home and told his three-year-old sister that Father Christmas definitely didn't exist. And Lloyd Langford had told him. Oh and his God. mum still rings up my parents to complain about it. <laughs> <laughs> she is slightly mad. I heard the sister died in a light aircraft crash, anyway. <laughs> Listen to this one. Oozer, I think is, her name is pronounced. <laughs> my sister and I used to love winding up... But this, this is related to your little story there, right? My sister and I used to love winding up my five-year-old brother. We once told him that if he showed his willy to people, they would give him sweets. <laughs> There's an estate near my house where that's true, actually. <laughs> but that he had to be very careful not to let my mother see him doing it or the magic wouldn't work. <laughs> she found out after an hour or two the next day and grounded us both. That's a, a reasonable ending. I just love that sentence, or oh, the magic wouldn't work. <laughs> this is uh, more of an, an adult one. Most of these have been about kids, but this is quite an adult one. Many years ago, my wife and I weren't getting on so well. She told me she was going away for a few days to get her head together. In a plane, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought this was probably the end, as it were. While she was away, it was my 40th birthday, and I went out and drowned my sorrows. It was a very boozy afternoon, but when I got home around seven, I opened the door and my entire family and extended family shouted, Surprise! <laughs> My wife had arranged a surprised party in a bid to start afresh. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had had less faith in us patching things up, as had the woman who had come home with me.
on the plus side, I sobered up very quickly. <laughs> have you got any uh, confessions, boys? You want to get anything you want to get off your chest in terms of family uh, things? I have, but I'm going to let Lloyd go first. I've got a brother who's about a year younger than me, and when we were about four or five, we were down the beach, and he found a very small, smooth piece of uh, green glass that I told him was a magical em- emerald and uh, would give him special powers. Um, and he then stuffed it up his nose <laughs> in, in an attempt to have permanent magical powers. Um, and my parents couldn't get it out of his nose, so they took him to a doctor, and the doctor spent about ten minutes with a really long kind of medical tweezers removing the glass. And he finally got it out, put it on the table, and said to my mum, I have no idea how he got it so far up his nose. And my brother went like this, took it off the table, <laughs> put it back up his nose again. Before we come on to yours, Greg, I'll just read some out that are coming from our, our studio audience uh, here tonight. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of people swapping things for younger siblings. It's even sabotaging. They're like, swap the boiled eggs and my brother's packed lunch for uncooked ones. <laughs> Accidentally put my mum's iPod in the washing machine and hid it in a bag of rice. <laughs> Apparently that draws the water out. It didn't work. <laughs> Says Catherine in Croydon. <laughs> the old wet iPod in rice trick. <laughs> What's yours, Greg? Well, it's, I, it's similar to Lloyd's, really, and I just wanted to do a public apology to my sister for the uh, awful treatment I gave her as a youth because I was, I was speaking to her a couple of nights ago and she reminded me of some things. One, that as standard, I referred to her during her whole youth as Fatima Inbred. <laughs> which I'm genuinely sorry for. Um, we used to play horsey, which involved me dragging around the garden by her ponytail, shouting bad horsey at her, which again... <laughs> But this is the one that she reminded me of that is my favourite. <laughs> Apparently, on a regular basis, I would hide in her cupboard before she went to bed and sing the cupboard song. <laughs> Which she retaught to me, and this is it. I've been upstairs, I've been in bed, I've been in the kitchen where I got fed. Now I'm in the cupboard. I'm in Sean's cupboard, and I'm not going to bed. <laughs> I was 14, she was 10. But it went on for months, apparently, every time. She, she'd even check her cupboard sometimes, but I put a blanket over myself, and she'd just be falling off to sleep, when it be a bit upstairs. <laughs> Hey, we need, to, we need to crown our loser of the week. I've forgotten. We've had so many. I've forgotten. Who should we have, Lloyd? Greg. <laughs> Greg, you are our loser of the week. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's something of a bully we've learnt. I was only a bully as a young man. I've, oh, that's fine. I think I've subsequently made up to it. Plus, my sister uh, got her revenge when I was 17 by punching me in the face and saying, and I quote, you mean nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Vienna. <laughs> She did have a pencil moustache at the time, I said. That's puberty for you. <laughs> Let us go back to the barrel of laughs. Lloyd, kindly dangle a hand into my barrel. Tell us what's next. <laughs> next up, it's Rod's Chinstroker. 
It's Rod's chin stroker. Is there a lot of tea in China? Are mules really stubborn? Can birds really appear that suddenly? Is Chris Tarrant really lactose intolerant? Which came first, breaded chicken or scotch egg? In Rod's chin stroker, we take on the big stuff, the issues that matter. We don't just discuss them, we discuss them a lot. We won't just talk about things till the cows come home. We'll talk about them till the cows have come home, had this supper, watched TV, gone on the internet for a couple of hours, had a bath and gone to bed. <laughs> Today's sleeping cow of a topic is... Is a Bosnian man being targeted by alien bullies? A Bosnian man whose house has been hit six times by meteorites claims aliens are targeting him. The white hot rocks have hammered uh, this bloke's house. (laughs) He's Bosnian. (laughs) Repeatedly since 2007. So much so he's had to reinforce his roof. Experts of Belgrade University have confirmed that all the rocks... Not just one or two, all of them are meteorites. I am obviously being targeted by aliens, he says. He says, I don't know what I've done to annoy the aliens, but there is no other explanation that makes sense. This guy says he's had so many visitors to his house to see the white-hot alien bully rocks that he plans to erect a small museum in his back garden. Right? Now, that that is one museum I would not go to if the area was repeatedly hit by rocks. (laughs) Do you, uh, I basically, I wanted to throw this out just to get a, a bit of a debate, a bit of a chin stroker going about aliens more generally. So I've, been looking, I've always been confused about aliens is, is why exactly they appear to be so shy. I mean, they've gone to the trouble of creating amazing technology to visit us and then it would appear that they've got such low, low self-esteem that they just want to <laughs> stay hidden behind the clouds. Seems like a lot of effort to go to not to come and say hello. But they have said it, I mean, that's the whole point. Well, they haven't. They've thrown white hot rocks at a Bosnian (laughs) man's house. Yeah, they're socially socially awkward, but (laughs) maybe that's hello in Alien. But that's just one fella. I mean, in in America, they're estimated 100 million people who've actually not just seen aliens, but actually spent time with them, abducted. Yeah, because there's no fantasist in America, is there? (laughs) The most balanced nation. This is a testimonial. I mean, what, uh, because there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Betty and her husband, they both had lots of experiments done on them. These are one of the first ever alien... What's interesting about this one is that these people had stuff done on them that wasn't available to human science. It wasn't known to human science. They had... Look. <laughs> <laughs> I've read about this, because didn't Betty describe the alien as sounding and feeling a bit like her husband in a bin bag? <laughs> No, she didn't. Oh. <laughs> I must have read a different alien magazine. <laughs> they both had lots of experiments done, skin samples, the usual stuff that was happening. That the happened. usual alien abduction stuff, you yeah. know. Most alien abductions, there's some kind of sample taking, right? Hair and skin and things like that. For... But then, this is the interesting bit, the alien took out a hypodermic needle, four to six inches long, and, and conducted what he said, the alien, was a pregnancy exam. He used a wet swab and he put the needle into her stomach, right? The point about that, that is that that technique is now used in, uh, to detect fetal abnormalities and stuff in regular sort of science, but it wasn't known at the time. So how, how do you explain that, Lloyd? How do I explain it? <laughs> yes. how, do you, how do you explain yeah, How do you explain the fact that there's, a lot, there's quite a lot of things that we've only learnt them from alien abductions? There's quite a lot of... <laughs> what, are you picturing it as some sort of dragon's den? <laughs> uh, optometry. Uh, that came about after alien abduction. Optometry. Yeah, the like study of eyes. Yeah, opt- opticians and things. You know the What's... things where they go, you know the reading test, they go A, F. Aliens did that first. That's going to be oh, the no. most disappointing abduction of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get pulled onto their craft and then they're like, right, now read the top line, <laughs> middle line. <laughs> That's not all they did. 
They didn't do just optometry. After no, that, they... they sorted out someone's corns as well, apparently. <laughs> exactly. After that, they brought in the paediatrics. <laughs> the foot one. Podiatry. Yes. That, that's absolutely true. That is optometry. There's certain branches of science. The, the one in the, in the navel with the for pregnancy thing, didn't, we didn't know about it. And she, what she recorded later became something I, that I we would, use regularly in science. I would believe you, but then read on. Read on that story, because I've read it earlier on. What happens next? These are the aliens, right, who've got this new technology for detecting pregnancy that we weren't aware of yet. Yeah. And... Suddenly, another very excited alien rushed into the room and spoke with her alien doctor in a strange language. The doctor examined Betty's mouth and seemed to be trying to pull her teeth from it. When this was unsuccessful, the alien doctor asked why her teeth were fixed while her husband's had come out of his mouth. (laughs) Betty told him that her husband wore dentures because humans often lose their teeth as they age. What's your problem? Well, so he's got this wonderful breakthrough in medical technology, but he isn't familiar with false teeth. (laughs) Clearly an idiot. <laughs> but, how, but maybe aliens don't have teeth. Have you thought about that? Well, he's got to be an all-knowing... You don't pro- have to be all-knowing just to be more advanced than we are in pregnancy testing and stuff. But there's, there's aspects of science now where we're very advanced and some where we're still very... Uh, are you, you suggesting know? that aliens could develop the technology to travel to Earth and to detect whether a woman's pregnant or not would not even have rudimentary understanding of dental care? <laughs> That is exactly what he suggested. Yeah. yeah. If, if, uh, yes, that's exactly what, that's the nature of specialism. That is, uh, you go into any hospital... That's the nature of specialism. <laughs> <laughs> of course that's the nature of, you go into a hospital when it's got all the signs in this department, this, you can't just wander in and go, I assume you know a bit about dentistry. Oh, yeah. if you, if you, if you go into the maternity ward and you go to the doctor, look at these false teeth, he literally, he'll just drop his work, he'll... Uh... <laughs> I've never, no, seen any, I've never seen anything so, like it in my life, uh, <laughs> such as being the, the specific focus on childbirth. I've neglected all other aspects. <laughs> Ca- carry on with this alien chat. Carry on with the alien because what's happened basically is, uh, is over the years of alien abductions, they, they've changed in nature. Because would you let a, an alien experiment on you? And the arguments they usually make for using experiments. It's not on really. It's not usually a sort of question thing, is it? They don't sort of rock up in your bedroom and go. Will you let us experiment on you? Because we really need your signature on this consent form. Yeah. <laughs> and then we can probe you. Yeah. I don't want to talk you into it, but I would say that your eyesight's only going to get worse. <laughs> what are those white things in your mouth? <laughs> is, is there anybody out there that... that who thinks that the, uh, the Bosnian man is being bullied by aliens? Do you, do you believe... On the whole, do we, do we believe... But you do believe that there's intelligent life out there somewhere? Yes. But, you d- but, you just, um, but it's ridiculous that it's visited? <laughs> why? Why is it chap with a beard? Why is it ridiculous? If you, believe, if you believe they're out there, why is it ridiculous that they've, you know, that they've been here? Because I believe that if aliens did come to this planet, they would probably send machines first because they'd have the technology to travel and they wouldn't want to risk going there before they knew the condition, so we'd more likely experience machines... <laughs> Machines like flying saucers, rather with little people at the steering wheels. This is like Jeremy Kyle for nerds. <laughs> Are you ready for a bit of stand-up comedy, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah! In that case, would you please give a lovely, warm welcome to Mr. John Richardson? Yeah. Hello. How are you? Good, you having fun? Yeah. Get that sorted. Give it a cheer if you're a perfectionist. 
The rest of you are infuriating. <laughs> because you cock things up and you think it's part of life's rich tapestry. It isn't. Right? You could have eliminated that mistake. And it's only because we're so... Humans are so good. As a, I mean, to be a human is a really... It's a massive gift. I realised how far we are ahead of every other species on the planet the other day. I was on a plane. I'm not showing off, but things are going all right. <laughs> I was eating a chicken sandwich on this plane, thinking, I am eating a bird whilst I am flying. <laughs> Isn't that mind-blowing? I, a flightless land mammal, am consuming a bird in flight. <laughs> You can't not look out the window of the plane there and go, you are all rubbish at this. <laughs> the only thing I would rather be than a human is a dog. And that's just because dogs are on... I really have a weird thing about dogs, where, you know, when you see them in the street and most people think, that's a nice dog, my thought is, I wonder if I could get that in my back. <laughs> I really want... And there are people in this world who like cats, and you're entitled to your opinion, but you are wrong. Give <laughs> you if you like cats? Loads of you, unfathomable. They're <laughs> vicious, horrible. Like if you watch You've Been Framed and you see a dog montage, then a cookie will be snaffled and milk will be spilt and people will be licked. If you see a cat montage, someone's getting hurt. <laughs> they climb walls, they eat fish, they attack babies. And people go, oh, he's just, that's, that's Jasper. We'll kick him in the face. <laughs> he's attacking your child. <laughs> The thing I don't understand about cats, people say, oh, no, 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 no. Let me tell you about cats. Let me tell you something about cats. Cats are so independent. Yeah, but what's the point in having a pet that's independent? It's, the whole point of pets is you look after them because they can't and they love you for it. That's a, you know, like you wouldn't love a baby more if it came out of the womb and went, cheers for that, see you later. <laughs> I would stick around, I got a mortgage meeting. <laughs> you have to, I mean, if you want the joy of owning something but none of the work involved, just pretend to own someone in the street. Waste time with you. You can just wake up in the morning, open your curtains, and going, "That one's mine." That one. Yeah, I call him Brian. Yeah, no. he's good as gold. He goes past about half eight. Same again at half five. And well, he's never done poo in the house. <laughs> I, I just I buy into that lifestyle of having a dog, of wandering around. I heard a news story about a man walking his dog uh, just outside Huddersfield, and he found in a field a severed alligator's head. <laughs> Isn't that a good story? I love the idea that there are still people who walk around finding stuff. Because that happens to you when you're a kid, you look out for it. When you're an adult, you never expect to find anything except misery. He found... <laughs> and they do... I live in Swindon, not a lot goes on, to be honest. If someone found an alligator head, that would be 24-hour rolling news. Right, we're going to the field now. Ian, can you still see the head? No, it's gone, but you can see where it was. There's a dent in the grass. Right. All they did on the BBC leads, the, the, the newsman went, a man has found a severed alligator's head in a field. And they went to the man and he went, I... Well, me. Uh, I might have exaggerated his <laughs> raging lizard. He said, I was walking, th dog, uh, in the field, and uh, I seen this thing. Right, so I've gone over to it. This is genuinely the best line I have ever heard on radio. He said, I looked at it, and I thought, that's not a creature that lives round here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all the time I have. Thanks for listening so intently. So... Ladies and gentlemen, John Richardson! Let's crack on. Let's go back to the barrel. That's what we need to do. Lloyd, plough head first into my barrel like a crash test dummy and tell us what's next. <laughs> next up, Rod, is my concierge service. 
Yes, it's time now for Lloyd's Concierge Service, where you, Lloyd Langford, attempt to solve the problems of our audience, despite the fact that you are an ex-world champion loser yourself. <laughs> no, it, 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 is, <laughs> it isn't as bad as it sounds. He said, ex. <laughs> You're such a loser, you lost it. <laughs> uh, this is coming on the BBC Comedy Facebook site. Uh, I've been working as a lifeguard for three months and I haven't been paid yet. Should I stop saving people? <laughs> Doesn't say where they're a lifeguard, but I've been working for three months as a lifeguard. I haven't been paid yet. Should I stop saving people? This is quite a tricky one. When I was a, a toddler, I was saved by an off-duty lifeguard from drowning. Were you? Yeah, I was in Tunisia and I was walking in the sea and there was a big hole which had been caused by the engine of a speedboat. And I fell down it. Right. And you entered a magical kingdom. <laughs> and I was lucky there was a pier next to me and there were loads of lifeguards on it, just sort of chilling out, and one of them jumped in and saved my life. Wow. Are you still in touch? <laughs> no. no they, sadly, they drowned in the process. <laughs> Are you allowed to strike? Do you have a right to strike if you're a, a, a lifeguard? I'd like, to see a, I'd, see, I'd like to see a lifeguard strike. It'd be quite cool. I mean, well, like, a a picket line, line. like a picket line on the beach. Yeah, loads of people in trunks on a picket line. Then some scab lifeguards running trying to get past to save people in the sea. It'd be like, it'd be like a you know, life-saving situation stroke game of bulldogs on the beach. If you were drowning and there was someone running towards you to save you and behind that person there were five other people repeatedly shouting scab... <laughs> I was thinking, what if you were the lifeguard in this situation and someone was drowning, what I would do is I'd swim up near to them and say, I can see you're in difficulty, but I'm also in difficulty as well. <laughs> Financially. Financially. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if there's anything you can do for me and then I can help you. Sort of like, you scratch my back, I'll pump water out of your lungs. <laughs> How about this one? This is coming from our audience here in the studio, from Margaret in Kensal Green. Help me stop grinding my teeth. Is there anything you can do about that, Lloyd? No, because uh, I'm from an alien race. And <laughs> we have very little knowledge of all things dental. Uh, here's another one. The last one, uh, Lloyd, from Shaman in Coventry. This is quite nice. It's a sort of take. I can, I can hear this one as a song. Why do birds always shit on my car and no-one else is? <laughs> Any thoughts? I imagine it's down to her diet. She what? probably... <laughs> you, don't, you don't think it's more to do with where she parks her car? But she might eat a lot of um, chips and stuff like that that attracts birds, and then ah. naturally... <laughs> I thought you meant when you said she's eating too much chips, I thought you meant the birds are like, were looking in at the window, they're seeing her every night making chips, and they thought, that's not on, I'm going to go and shit on her car. <laughs> Someone's got to teach this woman about healthy eating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it in the most tangible way I know how. If you stood back from the car roof, in fact, the dropping spell out, stop eating badly, think of your children. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for something a little bit different? Yeah. In that case, please welcome to the stage with another stage of woman, it's Sarah Millican. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much. As you've probably noticed, there's a lot of fellas on this stage. So I am here as the girl to redress the hormone imbalance, if you like. 
The final of the six ages of woman is the sodded stage. <laughs> you've made it to 70 and now you're winging it. You've still got all the makeup you bought while hoarding in your 50s, but now can't be asked to wear it. Not only is lipstick a no-no, you've given up on hair removal and are now dousing your tash in baby bio and reveling its lush growth. <laughs> spend the best part of train journeys plucking errant hairs. It's because of the good light. It's a tip. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to being the woman with the beard. It's assumed, of course, that these ladies give up on themselves. But the truth is, because their eyesight is failing, they genuinely think they still look like Sophia Loren when they look in the mirror. <laughs> My friend's nan has mastered the sodded stage. She only uses paper plates and mentions death in every conversation. <laughs> I've got a friend like that now who regularly sends me texts that begin quite upbeat and then quickly turn. They start like, just took the bins to Disneyland. It was expensive but worth it to see the smiles on the kids' faces waiting for results not looking good. <laughs> or, just got a couple of new sofas from DFS. It's been like changing rooms at our house. Steve's been quiet. I think he's going to leave us. <laughs> My friend's nan doesn't wear skirts anymore. Just wanders round in a top and her knickers. <laughs> no wonder old people's heating bills are always so high. <laughs> she hasn't been upstairs for five years. No need, she says. She has also stopped wearing deodorant, but that's largely because it's still upstairs. <laughs> I think relationships are simpler when you're old as well. The way I say it, you have a long-term partner per decade in your life. So 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, then by the time you get to your 70s, you just have no strings attached sex with whoever's in the same home. <laughs> That's your reward for not dying. <laughs> These are the things that I'm looking forward to when I'm 70. That's double my age. I'm 35 now. This is what I'm looking forward to. Not having to be polite to people anymore. When people show you pictures of their kids, I'm going to start going, it's all right. <laughs> No, don't, no, don't feel bad. It's only half your fault. <laughs> I'm also looking forward to disco naps without having to actually go to a disco. <laughs> Farting while deaf and so just blasting it out with utter confidence. <laughs> even doing the face and even on the bus. <laughs> Being able to fall asleep when people are talking to you and not just on Christmas Day. Used to moan that she used to only have to walk past a cream cake shop and I put weight on, but she always had an emergency pasty in her bag. <laughs> Just in case. I want to be like her. I look like a nana in every hat I try on. Always have done. So I'm looking forward to getting old because I'm just going to buy loads of bloody hats. <laughs> Bad driving as well. Sometimes it looks just like a fiesta is being driven by a flowery hat. <laughs> Most of all, I'm just looking forward to being allowed to be weird. My boyfriend's grand gave him a photo of herself. We put it on the windowsill facing out. <laughs> we know how much old people like looking out of the window. <laughs> we took her for a Sunday lunch, and when I asked her if she wanted roast potatoes, she said, I don't know, I can't remember if I like them. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to, being 80 and rediscovering roast potatoes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Millican, the last stage of women. Let's go back to the barrel, Lloyd. Stick your fetid appendage into my bulging barrel and tell us what's next. <laughs> next up, it's Rod's Run Club. Yeah. 
That's it, Rod's Run Club. And the first rule of Run Club... <laughs> Don't talk about Rant Club. In these most testing of times, when everyone's as stressed as a bear with an upset stomach who's just been turned away from the woods because they're being cleaned, <laughs> we all need somewhere to have a moan. Rant Club is Britain's first purpose-built academy of whinging, a place where we can indulge our natural inclination to moan without fear of people saying, oh, cheer up, it might never happen. Of course it'll happen. I want it to happen. I'll go to my way to make sure it does happen. Rant Club is the second best place for like-minded, angry individuals to shout and scream after a Weatherspoons. <laughs> Tonight, the shouty mobile phone user in our quiet carriage is... Other people. These are some that have come in uh, from the BBC Comedy Facebook page during the week. This is from Lizzie. She takes the opportunity to go straight for the jugular, this, with an, an attack on some of society's most defenceless individuals, which is what we want. When old people start recounting a very insignificant moment of their day, trail off onto three different and only mildly related topics, then wander off and make a cup of tea. <laughs> Then an hour later, spring back to life, recounting the original very insignificant moment as if no time had passed whatsoever. <laughs> That's right, Lizzie, you have a pop. Just because they fought in two world wars doesn't give them the right to be poor storytellers, does it? <laughs> Roald Dahl was in the Air Force in World War II, but at least he had the decency to hone his narrative skills before he came home. <laughs> uh, this is Ruth. People who push their buggies out in front of them into the road from between parked cars, as if testing the traffic before endangering their own lives. <laughs> Using their kid like a canary in a coal mine <laughs> is the way Ruth puts it. What annoys you about other people? The things they say, the things they do, the way they smell, the noises they make, the things they believe in, the way they eat, etc., etc., etc. Adam. Brackets, written by his wife on his behalf. <laughs> Surprisingly, my rant tonight is a, is a positive one. Ladies and gentlemen, for the last night of... Yeah, for the last night of Rant Club, I thought it would be an optimistic, glass-half-full sort of rant. And I realise this goes against the ethos of Rant Club and that my being optimistic and glass-half-full is as unexpected as seeing Osama Bin Laden on Can't Cook, Won't Cook. But, <laughs> but today's rant is a call for solidarity, tolerance and understanding. Truth of it is, I'm fed up with us all complaining about one another. Let me clarify that. I'm not in the least bit fed up of me complaining about other people. I'm fed up with you complaining about other people. And I intend to complain about you vigorously. To narrow it down a bit, I think mostly, I have to say, I'm fed up with everybody complaining about teenagers. In the words of Pink Floyd and a goat farmer I once upset, leave those kids alone. <laughs> I'm so, I'm, honestly, I'm really sick of teenagers just getting attacked. This came to a head when I was being chatted at by an older person on a train. Right? She trotted out so many clichés in ten minutes that I found myself so angry I almost moved to Tunbridge Wells. Right? <laughs> people, she said, they're not as polite as they used to be. She said, oh, they have no respect for their elders. Do they? Oh, they're getting cheekier by the day. I said, no, they're not. I think it's far more likely that you're getting older by the day. <laughs> the cheekiness of young people has probably remained fairly constant. What's changed is that you're getting older and moving into their target demographic. <laughs> Anyway, I said, if you ask me, we're the ones to blame. Of course teenagers are going to feel alienated and disenfranchised, inventing devices that emit a horrible sound that only they can hear and drives them away. Did you hear about that mosquito thing? Yeah. Have you, what are we thinking? What are we thinking? It's unbelievable. Can you imagine the uproar if we did that with other sections of society? Recordings of the Luftwaffe to clear the pavements outside bingo halls. <laughs> 
Why not let's drive the old people off the streets? Recordings of Jordan's autobiography to disperse crowds of middle-class people at the Hay Book Festival. <laughs> this old woman said, but they intimidate older people. They intimidate us hanging round like that. I said, older people might be intimidated, but you can't blame other people for the way you feel. Of course, teenagers appear more intimidating and dangerous as you get older, so do toffees, half marathons and stairs. <laughs> It's not the stairs' fault, is it? We don't go all round going saying, ooh, what are we going to do about stairs? They're out of control. Stairs aren't what they used to be. They make me feel really uncomfortable these days. It's when they congregate. That's the worst. They never used to hang round in groups when I was thinking, now they're everywhere, outside the library. That's the worst place at all. Four or five sets of stairs down there. A gang of stairs it was. A gang, you say? Yeah, there was a gang of them down by the library. I was too scared to use the ramps. <laughs> Did he hear that? She was too scared to use the ramps. In my day, children were seen and not heard. That's what this was. In my day, children were seen and not heard. I said, so what? What's so great about something being seen and not heard? My dad's got a broken radio. Help yourself, you can have it. He hardly uses it since the speaker's packed up. Sometimes he sticks it by the shed so my mother looks out the window and thinks he's working. But I'm sure he wouldn't mind you borrowing it. I can't think of one other situation where seen but not heard is a positive, with the possible exceptions of a Kylie Minogue concert, David Beckham and bagpipes. <laughs> she said, but they hang round on street corners. I said, so do post boxes. And anywhere else in the world, it's normal for people to hang round on street corners. In foreign countries, that's what people of all ages do. I wish we did it more. Use the streets to hang out, meet and chat. It's called a community. It's only this country where if more than three people stop ignoring each other for more than a minute, someone calls the police. Hello, officer, come quickly. There's three people up to no good outside my house. What are they doing? Well, it's what they're not doing that's worrying me. They're not sitting on their asses at home watching EastEnders trying to ignore the phone, that's what. Well, please come quickly. It looks like one of them's going to try and start something in a minute. Yes, I think it's a conversation. She said, you're on their side. I said, I'm not. Far from it. I hate kids as much as the next person. Don't get me wrong. Don't think for a minute that me defending them means I like them. I can't stand children. The further I get from being a child, the further I want to be from children. To my mind, seen or not heard doesn't actually go far enough. To me, kids are like a new Dalton John playing a Vuvuzela. I don't want to see it or hear it. I don't want to see or hear it and certainly not involve any of the other three senses. I hate kids with a passion, honest, but I'm not blaming them. For my hatred, it's my fault. Like you, I'm getting older and more curmudgeonly. I'm less understanding of young people. It makes sense. The further you get away from anything, the less you understand and empathise with it. It works geographically too. By and large, people with the same accent don't have wars. For a start, it makes the films too confusing. <laughs> when Lancaster and Yorkshire fought, they might have been able to tell themselves apart easily, but the rest of us had a hell of a job. That's why they brought in the roses. <laughs> so people from the South could follow what was going on on telly. <laughs> Before that, the commentary team was having a nightmare. I said, I'm not on any side. To me, there are just as many irritating other social groups out there. And the further I am from them, the more irritating I find them. I find babies far more irritating than teenagers. But when I was a baby, I didn't have a problem with babies. Because I empathised with my own age group. Back then, if another baby was crying for seven hours for absolutely no reason, I'd probably look across and go, Oh, I know, tell me about it. I know exactly how you feel. Now it's only the threat of prison and lower DVD sales that stops me giving them a good kick in. <laughs> People who left school at 16 to start a business drive me insane, the cocky little snots. Harry Krishnas, Scientologists. People who cycle on the pavement and then touch at you if you're in their way. 
People who use umbrellas to get through crowds like they're at some sort of meteorological jousting tournament. <laughs> Toddlers who dawdle because their stupid little legs and brains aren't geared up to the urgency of city life. <laughs> the man Lloyd and I encountered a couple of days ago was jogging while simultaneously trying to blow a string of snot out of his nose that refused to break off and look like some sort of phlegm yo-yo. <laughs> I said, I've got no more against old people than I have against anyone else. Far from it. I'm getting old myself. But I don't think young people are changing. They've always been and always will be tosspots. <laughs> With the exception of Jesus and Ali Jones, every child everywhere in the Western world at any point in history are utter penises. <laughs> so my last rant is an anti-rant. Everyone stop ranting at each other. Bitch holler rant. <laughs> It's fitting that on the last day of Rant Club, we call ranting a day. We hang up our ranting boots and board up Rant Club for good. Lock the doors, Lloyd. Board the windows, Greg. Rant Club is no more. For the past six weeks, I've let myself get wound up. Well, that's an end to it. The only thing that's getting wound up tonight is Rant Club itself. Good night. Lloyd, can you dip into the barrel and tell us what's next? <laughs> next up, it's Greg's Indecent Proposal! Yay! What have you got for us today, Greg? For a one-off payment of £100,000, <whistles> would you become, for a period of one year, the most utterly, slavishly devoted superfan of Ross Kemp? <laughs> What, what does that involve exactly? Yeah. Good question. You Lord. must uh, make daily contact with Ross Kemp in some way. Physical contact. Not necessarily, no, but he must know of your contact. But I could text him. I'll do that for 100 grand. Yeah, I'll text him for a year every day. Mm. I would... Uh, do we, what do we have to I do? Mean, I'll, I'll if it's just clear, contact, Ro I'll do that. Ross Kemp is massively irritated by you constantly trying to contact him, and he's changed his phone number, I'll tell you that much. And remember, you've got to contact him every single day, even if he's in, let's say, Afghanistan. <laughs> or hanging out with a dangerous gang. <laughs> so think about it, £100,000, it's not going to last you forever. I mean, do you like Ross Kemp or not? I... I do like... I would do it for hundred grand. I think I would do it every day for a year. I definitely would do it. Who would take up my challenge? Cheer for yes? yes. Cheer for no? Yes. Indecent proposal number two. <laughs> <laughs> to instantly become a kung fu master. Yes. Wise, powerful and revered internationally, would you try and trick Paul McCartney into eating meat? <laughs> So we're going to get a quick decision on this, I'd say. So we only have to try and trick him into meat. We don't actually oh, have no. to accomplish I'll it. I'll revise that. You have to get Paul McCartney to eat meat. I would it? definitely do that. Being a kung fu master would be... is probably. If I could have one superpower, it would be to be able to do kung fu. So you've no respect for Paul McCartney's wishes? So he trick him into eating meat. He, might, he doesn't even have to know about it. He does. Oh, does he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's because it's corned beef, and you know what the aftertaste's like on that. <laughs> I would definitely shove corned beef in a, like a vegetarian lasagna if... or something and serve it to him to be a kung fu grandmaster. I would love to be. I'm, I love kung fu. I would love so to be a kung fu. So you would have a problem with Paul McCartney, the, led, the Beatles legend, looking up no. at you and going, Hey, no. hey, mate. No. <laughs> no. Have you, uh... Who would trick Paul McCartney into eating meat? Yeah. Don't even need to ask for the alternative. It's because kung fu is so exciting. Indecent proposal number three. For instant premiership footballing skills mm. that meant that you single-handedly won England the next World Cup, would you, regardless of how many times you were turfed off and how agitated he became, 
pitch a tent on Mel Gibson's lawn <laughs> and attempt to live in it. No, I don't care if England... I don't want... I couldn't play for... We're not even eligible. Yeah, we're not eligible Lloyd to play and I for England. Lloyd eligible to play well, for England. I'm, I'm suggesting that the wizard who's grunting you this has got the power to turn you English as well. <laughs> and, and don't tell me you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd definitely upset Mel Gibson every day for the rest of my life or whatever it was just Have to, you heard to, to turn English? English. He's as mad as a badger, that man. <laughs> yeah, but I could be quite tough. And don't forget, I've already got... I'm a Kung Fu master as well. <laughs> You can't accumulate yeah, these. You, you, you can't you, accumulate them, of course you can. Absolutely. Can I just make this absolutely clear? You're not a kung fu master in this scenario. <laughs> really? Yeah, you're not a kung fu master and you're not friends of Ross Kemp, either. <laughs> <laughs> we can't play for England, we don't want to play for England. I've got no interest in, in, in helping England win a World Cup. I would do that Mel Gibson thing to get Wales to the knockout stages of a World Cup. <laughs> Good idea, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of Greg's Indecent Proposals! That's almost us, ladies and gentlemen, but before we leave you, would you please welcome back on the stage the amazing, the incredible Hoosier! The producers were Julia McKenzie and Leanne Cope.